Hi, it's Courtney jumping in here to say thanks for listening. It's been quite a trip and we really hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. This episode, we're getting out and about across to the other side of Australia to the tiny town of Bajangara in WA. It's a relatively new town, thanks in part to its poisonous plants. Local Don Williams knows about that, but we'll get to it in a minute. Since the start of this series, we've come a long way, much like Australia's solar energy infrastructure, progressively adding up as we've journeyed through regional towns. We've seen some of the biggest, newest, most advanced and efficient solar generators that are underway thanks to funding from ARENA and the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. And the work, of course, of renewable energy innovators like Neowen, GenX and the APA Group. A quick hello to our international listeners, by the way. Quite a few of you have downloaded Rewired in New Zealand, the US, the UK, Italy, France, Spain, Qatar, Singapore, Denmark, Barbados, Japan, the Philippines, Indonesia. You're just over there across our northern horizon and many other countries. We'd also love to hear what you think. No matter where you are, please leave a review. If you're using Apple's podcast app, just search for Rewired, even if you've already subscribed to find the link. Or let us know on Facebook, search for Australian Renewable Energy Agency and send us a message. If this is your first time listening, I recommend starting at an episode called Mining the Sun. It's about a solar farm in the rural town of Kidston, Queensland, and how to work with an open-cut gold mine to create a massive kinetic battery. Starting there, let's have a look back on where we've come. It does feel like we're sort of coming up to the crest of a, yeah. a pretty big view. I can see that. Thank goodness. Here we are. Um, so wow, this, this is incredible. What surprises people is the scale of this place. You think, oh yeah, it's a, it's a hole in the ground, it's got some water. We then headed south to Griffith, New South Wales, a huge wine region. And just outside of my shop here, a train goes past each day with 70 20-foot containers of wine a day, seven days a week, all year round. Up the highway to Parks, home of the Parks Elvis Festival. When I first got a cab from the airport and they didn't even know what job I was doing, uh, you know, the taxi driver's talking about the festival. It's something that brings everyone together, uh, brings so much uh, expenditure to the town, uh, really well-needed dollars. Further north to Ningen, home to the biggest solar farm in Australia. The landscapes just sort of turn black because they're all... And then popping out each sort of couple of hundred metres, there's uh, one of these sort of platforms with the boxes on it. Yeah, yep. Wow. Does the weather affect them at all? No, the weather's good. The rain cleans the panels. Much as it uh, Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. So that's good. Then on to the two new solar farms around Dubbo and a story about how it ended up with the zoo. Funny story is that, and the local member here, who has now passed away, but the local member, Tony McGrain, used to tell a story that he was involved in National Farmers Association, and they wanted the National Farmers to write to the New South Wales government to say that they didn't want a zoo built out in prime farmland around Wellington because they were worried about lions escaping 
from the zoo and going and taking all their livestock. And now the sandy plains two hours north of Perth where two renewable energy sources will be working side by side. Welcome to Rewired, a look at the new large-scale solar farms under construction around Australia. The Australian Renewable Energy Agency, known as ARENA, on behalf of the Australian Government, last year announced $90 million in funding for 12 large-scale solar projects following a competitive round. And after years of planning, construction, it's underway. The Emu Down Solar Farm is being built in the tiny town of Bajangara two and a bit hours north of Perth. Running east-west through the town is the Bibby Highway, renewable energy high street equivalent in these parts, already home to an 80 megawatt wind farm with the 20 megawatt solar farm going in next door. Dale Park, um, a local farmer. I'm, I'm a neighbour on the other side. I'm the south side of the, the wind farm. Dale says the local climate, like parts of New South Wales we've visited, and as it is across the southwest of WA, it can best be described as Mediterranean. So wet winters and dry summers, that's what it used to be. Over the last 10 to 15 years, we've seen things change slowly. We're getting less rain in the winter and, and more in the summer. It's sandy. It all looks like a rich brown beach with scrub and the odd tree around, but Dale assures me there's noticeable differences in the countryside. Millions of years ago, the hill where the turbines are propped up on was the coastline. 30 kilometres out into the prehistoric sea is the shore these days with the towns of Cervantes and Durian Bay. And this is a relatively new area. So the, the land around Bajangara was only opened up in the, uh, the 60s. Um, and so before that, it was basically bush. Tough Bush too, one of the last frontiers in white Australian settlement in WA. So while you'll find farms here now, they're not the generational properties of the eastern states. Like the solar and wind farms, they're a relative newcomer to the industry. It wasn't that the area was unknown. Back in the 1880s, surveyors found local flora too poisonous for farm animals on the plateau. Uh, there are a couple common names of Hill River poison, Champion Bay poison, uh, plants that are toxic to introduced animals like sheep, cattle, goats, pigs and horses, but are not poisonous to the animals that live here. This is Don Williams. He lives about 30 minutes further north. Don knows the area as well as anyone. He authored one of the few books about it, describing 520 native plant species. The area here, the Hill River area, uh, was the last frontier in Western Australia, even though it's now only two and a little bit hours drive north of Perth. This is because the area is Quangan, is the name of the vegetation. It's short, prickly uh, vegetation. And Quangan is an Aboriginal word, roughly translated meaning a bloody prickly no-go area. Doesn't sound so good, but it is quite picturesque. The hills take enough time to rise that you can often see for kilometres in any direction. The short scrub borders the horizon without getting in the way. And the sky stretches wide enough, it's probably more appropriate referring to it as the Earth's atmosphere. Among this vista is the seemingly odd circumstance of a solar farm going up next to a wind farm. 
I take a drive into Durian Bay and meet Adam Pegg. He's the head of environmental development at the APA Group, owner of both the solar and the wind farms. My role mainly entails looking for opportunities that come from climate change policy and I look after all our wind and solar farm projects. So you're the one reading through the government papers and then wondering how you can apply that to the landscape around the country? Yeah, I've, I've spent a few years um, uh, reading a lot of papers and, and putting submissions into quite a few policy changes. The Emu Downs solar farm here in WA is a cost-effective opportunity recognised by APA. We had really two wind resources. It, it blew in the morning and then dipped a bit in the day and then blew again in the evening. So we were able to sort of squeeze in a 20 megawatt solar farm without um, augmenting or increasing our connection point. Wind dies down, solar fills the existing pipeline. Wind and solar are really complementary and working together to, put, to provide our off-taker a, a more flatter, um, more, somewhat more certain um, profile. Australia's by no means the only country warming to solar. Others have taken it much further already. Amanda McKenzie is CEO of the Climate Council and I caught up with her outside her office in a busy Melbourne street. The thing that surprises me is that a cloudy country like Germany is so far ahead of where Australia is. And, you know, as I said, we're the sunniest country in the world. We've got a huge opportunity and, uh, you know, we've got a lot of space. We've got a lot of sun. There's so much that we could do. We just need to get out of our own way. Closer to Australia, China is putting its deserts to work too. So a recent trip I did to China was really mind-boggling. We went to a town called Gamu, and when I say a town, it's basically in the centre of China, in the desert, and it's there to facilitate lots and lots of renewable energy. And the government basically gives companies the land for free and says, build as much energy as possible, was the, the sense that I got. And one of these solar arrays that I went to was 12 kilometres by 12 kilometres. You stand on the top of the sort of the overlook, and as far as you can see in every direction is solar panels. It really was amazing. And you think, you know, a country like Australia, we've got so much desert space, we could do a whole lot of that here too. And it's absolutely feasibly possible. Like you can install large-scale solar almost like Lego blocks. You can do it quickly and you can do it in lots of different areas. But we have a lot of flat desert. <laughs> There's a lot of opportunity. And, you know, some of that flat desert is far away from existing transmission lines. But there is a lot of opportunity right near existing transmission infrastructure too. Helping to invest in the large-scale solar industry, among other renewable sources, is Gloria Chan, director in the investments team at the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. She says we're at a tipping point. I think a tipping point probably has, has been reached. So I think it was very significant uh, in basically saying to industry that uh, Australia is interested in um, basically having a pipeline of large-scale solar projects. And it said to it sent a sig signal, I think, to to sponsors and developers that um, there is um, a, a real pipeline um, of opportunities. Back across the sandy plateau and outside of the wind farm office, I meet a Bajangara local employed here to help administer the farm as the turbines rotate above us. Uh, my name is Janine Ackland. Janine wasn't always a local. Oh, I married a farmer. <laughs> That TV show's been going longer than I thought. <laughs> I was a city girl and uh, met a farmer, a farmer's son, and um, ended up in Bajangara. 
The head office for APA owners of the solar farm are based on the other side of the country, so different time zone. Does um, do the eastern states, do they forget that the time difference over here? No, no, it's pretty good. It's Really? <laughs> it's hard to believe. Right? I do remind them when we're having public holidays because they, they don't always match Eastern States public holidays. Many other people around here feeling the benefits of having a project this big come in? Um, I think they will as it gets underway. Um, Bajingara is the local community and it's rather a small town. Um, a lot of the... Um, people that are involved, the contractors or the um, labour force are actually from the coastal towns, Cervantes and Durian Bay. But um, yeah, we've got a couple of um, local earthworks and the water's um, coming from a local farm. Down one driveway and up another to the solar farm site. Okay. I don't know how the trucks do it around here. The roads aren't very wide. It just absolutely Minimum width. UGL, that's good enough for me. Oh, some really big levelling machines. And there's the trademark fence. With a couple of project managers from the construction company, we wave down a big truck that's been watering the internal roads. What's what's that going past us now, oh, Daryl? Water cart there, we're just, just setting down our roads. So oh, just, just settling the dust and give, give us this compaction on our roads. Alison hops out and wanders over. No. I didn't realise that's what you were doing while I'm busy backing up with my reverse squeeze and going... <laughs> um, I'm Alison Wybrow. I'm a part owner of Ashley's Earth Moving in Badgingara. Great. I think Jan mentioned your name. Jan, Jan may have mentioned my name, yes. She, she asked if I'd um, pop into the office at lunchtime and I said I'd have to fake a breakdown because Daryl would be watching. <laughs> Well, I won't, I won't keep you long. Um, you're, uh, how, when you say local, how local are you? Uh, 50k's that way is my house and I've lived here all my life. I was, I was actually born here. Oh. My parents worked on this farm. The, the solar farms? Well, no, it wasn't a solar farm. Then it was just a, no. a farm. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, my parents were working for the boat that owned that, you know, only 21 years ago, of course. Um, so you're probably working on hundreds of solar projects around here. This is, uh, this is just one of many. Uh, no, this is the very first solar project that Bajangara has and um, it's quite a novelty to be involved in it, although we're not very involved in the solar side of it, we're more the gravel side. Like the Ningen Solar Farm, the wind farm out here has a viewing platform that draws tourists in through the area and provides a bit of information about the renewable energy generated. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a big tourist spot. I, I think it would be well worth putting one here as well. Um, there's, there's a lot of tourists come up, less now that the coast road has gone in, but the tourists come out of Perth and go to the Pinnacles at Cervantes, and they, this Bibby Road is the main access across from the Brand Highway, and there's always hire cars and foreign tourists taking photos. So yeah. I, think it's, I think it's definitely... And, and the signs at the wind farm... You know, they've got the signage explaining what it is when it was built. It, it's very informative and I think it's, it's very good. For some people, they would never have an opportunity to see a wind farm, you know, in their own country. And I certainly, I've never seen a solar farm, so I hope you put some signs up here. What do people ask Alison about working on the solar farm? Can they get a job? That, that has been the biggest ask. It's a great place for a solar farm because sun is something we have a lot of. <laughs> As is the wind farm, a very good thing to have, yeah. 
It's been pretty incredible to travel around to these six large-scale solar farms and see how far they've come since funding was announced in spring 2016. Arena, like we've said throughout the series, contributed $90 million. What that $90 million got was an unlocking of about $1 billion in investment. So 10% of what it costs to construct these 12 large-scale solar farms around Australia has unlocked 90% from investors and renewable energy innovators. It's been an incredibly positive thing to see. Not so positive was my choice in higher cars for the regional and rural areas. I should have splashed out on a four-wheel drive, but the growth and development contributing to a future for Australia where rain can clean some of the infrastructure powering our national grid is impressive. Thank you so much for listening to this series of Rewired. Do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. While this is the last episode in this series, we may have another one in the works and that way you'll be the first to get it. And if you'd like more information about the work that Arena does, please go to their website, arena.gov.au. If you haven't listened to the other episodes, please do. Each one is a slice of an Australian town who just happens to be in a great spot to capture solar rays and convert them into electricity that'll light our lights, charge our phones or plug away offsetting emissions. Credits for this series and of course there are many large-scale solar farms and podcasts don't just happen. They can be found online at arena.gov.au forward slash podcast. I'm Courtney Carthy. You've been listening to this series of Rewired on large-scale solar farms around the country. Thanks again 